Hi everyone, welcome to The Way, this is Francis. And this is Jason, coming at you from the DMV. Hey, 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 welcome to The Way. What's up, what's up? It's The Way <laughs> Podcast, coming at you once again. From the DMV. From the DMV. Well, uh, we hope that you enjoyed the last episode on women and men. Gender roles. Gender roles. Gender roles. You know, I think we could market that as a as a product at a grocery store, right? Make some bread, put some stuff in them, and call them gender, gender roles. <laughs> that is so corny. <laughs> Usually, I'm the one that makes the corny jokes, but okay, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm expressing my dad jokeness. Okay, you know what I'm saying? That's so, fine. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So, what are we going to talk about today? This week, we're gonna we're gonna take our our uh, lead from last week's our uh, gender roles, gender specific. roles, and we're gonna move into family from a biblical perspective. Oh. Right? We're gonna talk about what the Bible has to say about family, but I think we're probably gonna tackle it from a different perspective than the way most people talk about it. Because you think I think so because. Because I think that's that, kind of the point of our podcast. Yeah, that's okay. kind of the point. But also, I think that um, when family is discussed from the perspective of the Bible, people tend to get a little weird and think that the Bible tries to hide messiness, right? Because the reality is, what we see in Scripture is a ton of messiness. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, I don't think the Bible hides any of the messiness. That most people seem to think yeah. they do. Um, I think people that say that have never read the Bible in its entirety. They just pick and choose what it is sure. to highlight what it is their point. I, I also think that that in some in some ways the church has done a disservice on this subject matter because we don't emphasize the fact that there's real life. Yep, right. Like, I agree. I think totally sometimes agree. we kind of live in a bubble and we live in a very. Um, kind of shallow perspective of what family is. And if you stay on the surface, it can be very easy to have an unmessy life on the surface, right? Like from when people look into your life and see how you function, if you stay on the surface of life and you don't see the depth and, and brokenness that cause that is caused by sin, um, you see families oftentimes, especially Christian families as, you know, like, this perfect little white picket fence type scenario. When in reality, I think there's messiness in every family. Yeah, and you know, honestly, I don't think um, people within the church like basically kind of say, "Hey, I, we have this picture perfect family." Right. I just think it's not. Um, that's not what's kind of like shared outside. Right. The walls of their home or their churches, and so they never truly are able to. To kind of almost give God glory for the like the messiness that basically God's the one that takes care of that messiness. I mean, I you think that I mean? that's true, Francis. But I also think that like generally, it's not a practice within Christian circles to be authentic about our mess. Yeah, right? that's like, that's true. I think generally in the church, I think people tend to to hide that stuff, right? As opposed to you know, when you're in biblical community with one another, one of the things that happens is, is you allow kind of people to see behind the curtain of your life, mm-hmm. right? 
And I think the Bible does a really good job of modeling that. I think that God lets people see behind the curtain of his people, right, in Scripture. Oh, yeah, right? for like, sure. There's just a, there's craziness in this book as far as, like, how people live and the decisions they make. And, and, like I said, the effects of the brokenness of sin, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's it's an incredible thing to, to observe in this book that God has given us. And I think there's two great examples in the Old Testament of just, like, what real family really looks like and what the, 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 the difficulty that families go through, right? So the first one um, comes from early in the book of Genesis, um, Genesis chapter 4. And it's basically the, the kind of description of what happens when Adam and Eve start to, to um, have children. Okay. All right. And what we see is we see, you know, this story of Adam and Eve having two sons, Cain and Abel. Yeah. And we see the effect of their sin in the garden and how that tr- trickles down into their sons, right? So the you know the basic narrative of the story is is that Adam and Eve have these boys and um you know it doesn't give a whole lot of background of, you know, like who what where when and how like it just it just basically says they have, you know, Adam basically, you know, lays with his wife and then they have kids, right? And <laughs> you know how it works. That's how it works, right? That's the biology behind it. <laughs> but but it says with the Lord's help, uh, what is that? Verse Verse one says, the second part of it, Adam says, With the Lord's help, I have brought forth a man. That's actually that's actually Eve saying that. Later she gave birth to a second son named Abel. Uh, when they grow up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain was a farmer. So just a very normal family, right? Mom uh-huh. and dad, two um, blue-collar worker sons, right? Like, they didn't have the, the whole white-collar thing. There was no college. They're not, you know, having to worry about sending their kids to college or anything. They got a son who's a shepherd and a son who's a farmer, yeah. right? Um, ironically, if you think about it, the very nature of their work, um, God orchestrates this through the curse where he says that men are going to be cursed with working the ground, right? So Cain, the interesting little tidbit here is Cain was a farmer, right? He works the ground, okay, which is part of what God's curse on Adam would be moving forward on humanity. And so Cain took that role of being the one who tills and works the ground. Okay, all right? I see that. Later on, what, ha- what do we see with Cain? We see Cain become jealous of his, of his brother and uh, I mean, I don't know how many families that out there who deal with this, but you know, most families deal with sibling rivalry and sibling oh, issues, right? Oh yeah. Um, I would say that in that moment, that's a normal family. That's right. Right. It like is. there is a normal a normalness to this, and we can say that now. This wasn't normal then, right? This was the beginning of basically how humanity's story was going to be written, but. The reality is, I think all families kind of mirror Adam and Eve's family. Would you agree with that, Francis? Yeah, I think so. So, where it takes a turn is when Cain basically, like, turns his jealousy into rage and murders his brother. Yeah. I don't think that was... It just reminds me of 
<laughs> that story, like I told you about, like when we were kids, me and my brother. Oh, my goodness. When we would fight and fight and fight, and my mom finally got tired of it, and she was just like, oh, you want to fight with your brother? Do you want to hurt him? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, okay, she's like speaking Tagalog, okay, because we were still in the Philippines. I was like probably less than 10 or something. And my um, my brother is uh, probably th- three years younger than me. Right. And he was like, here, here. She gave me basically a butter knife. He goes, do you want to kill your brother? Go ahead, go ahead. And then I'm like crying. I'm like, I don't want her, my brother. <laughs> so no matter how much like we fought and like always like got on each other's nerves, I still wouldn't wish harm on my brother, nor yeah. do I want to be the one to harm him. Yeah, and that's why this story is so powerful in, in a negative way is like, you know, this man was so jealous of his brother and his brother's acceptance by God, right? That he, in his rage, he murders him. Yeah, that's just crazy. And here's what I would say. Obviously, that's a terrible story and it's it's disgusting and grotesque and all the, any type of negative adjective you want to give it. But at the same time, we see this played out in the news and in our world regularly, right? The messiness of family. Yes. Which this is obviously taken out to an exponential degree. <laughs> but like the Bible doesn't hide this. No. The effects of sin affect families, right? And so what we see is we see, like we talked about in our last uh, podcast, we talk about these roles that are supposed to be fulfilled by man and woman, right? And then that's perverted by that sin in the garden, mm-hmm. right? And God curses Adam and Eve because of this sin. And their roles are actually part of the curse. And that's passed down to their, their children. And that sin, that seed of sin is passed on moving forward throughout humanity, right? We, we, are, we are tainted from that point on as sinners, right? And so we see Cain and Abel and the messiness of the first family played out right before us in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And I think... What I wanted to say about this, and I'm going to show another example of this, is, and I want you to comment on this, honey, because I think that you have a lot of, um, some great things to say about this. Like, I don't think that we should be so easily um, ready to hide our messiness. Like, I think that our messiness and the authenticity and the real, the real, the real, like, who we are as sinners is what if we're if we're really honest about it is what helps us remember that we need God. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think you know, I I grew up like in a Filipino culture that basically like not like try to hide things, but at the same time they don't want anybody else to know. Like you know, if you're like struggling with something, sure. it's like it's not something like oh you announce it a world. Right. So it's, it's, it's definitely, so you, all you, all everybody always sees is like, oh, you have a great family. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. But you don't see the struggles that's happening behind closed doors. Sure. And I think we, we do a disservice to our family and to each other by not allowing your, ourselves to be real. And because you're not, you're almost like, you can't ask for help. You can't like show that you're possibly struggling like or like you need help with something right and and which is crazy because i think you know on one sense you 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 yourself don't want to do that and yet 
you're willing to help somebody if somebody said so they said they needed something right you know like i know with my family in the moment like somebody needs something they're more than willing to help absolutely you know give you a shirt off their back right exactly yeah. and so i never quite understood i was like if we're needing help, why don't we want to share that with people? Because we're also willing to help people when they do share that they need help, you know? And I, that was something I didn't quite understand growing up. And I think, too, uh, you know, just looking back, I think a lot of it is a lot of, like, insecurities in yourself that you want to portray yourself in a way that is strong because that's what society says is good, you know, somebody that's strong, somebody that's already put together. So you don't necessarily always like show the messiness right. of what's happening in your life. I I could totally relate. Um, it's interesting. It, it's not uniquely Filipino for a family to be very protective of its image or what people see. Right. Um, I think. Yeah, I'm only speaking because that's all I know. Absolutely. <laughs> but I think in my situation, my family coming from, you know, southern roots. It's very similar, right? Southern families tend to carry themselves in a very like with a veneer. You know what I mean? There's a the veneer. Southern hospitality. Yeah, but there, it's 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 way deeper than the way most people give it credit, and it and it and it actually is this projection of um, strength or you know unity or loyalty or whatever positive uh, attributes that that family wants to express to the world. That's you know what is only projected, and and you know we don't put publicize our business out there right which you know honestly i don't think that that's necessarily always a bad thing no it's not i mean i don't <clears> think <throat> you should be like announcing to the whole world every little thing that's happening in your family you know um but there so, is something to be said for being vulnerable enough to ask for help yes right i think in your circles in your in your within your family or within your like sphere of influences you know you can reach out you can ask and i think there is. there's a great little section here in genesis 4 where god actually approaches cain when cain offers the wrong offering right mm -hmm. and and god says to him you know what's wrong with you bro like why are you acting this way all you have to do is to give the right offering. And instead, what happens is Cain turns and goes and kills his brother, right? Yeah, I never quite understood that because he actually gave him a chance to, like, make it right. Sure. You know, and it's like, instead, it's like, nah, <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to be angry. I'm going to go off and, and pout about rage. it. Exactly. You know? In, in my situation, um, it's very similar to yours where, you know, the family that I came from did not want to ever project any type of, uh, you know, negative perception of, of who our family was and and the reality is every family is messy i don't care yeah. what i don't care what you see on the outside there's always internal struggle strife difficulty and it doesn't matter it could be it could be medical it could be financial it could be relational i mean there's so many reasons that families have hard times right and and messiness and I think that a lot of times we view messiness as being like this, this um, slight against us. Like we, like it makes us less desirable as a family, or like, or like people don't look at us. They look at us a certain way. When it's weird because all families have these types of um, issues, and yet we try to hide it. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we try to hide our mess? Well, I mean, I think just, you know, just being like the basic, you don't want anyone to think you, you don't have it all together. And it's for the sense of approval. 
maybe just looking to be approved by your friends and other family members so you don't want them to look at you're like oh in need of something or is struggling or whatever have you right um so i think for me that's probably the biggest thing is like just looking for that sense of approval from people i yeah i think that that's a big part of it especially for me personally so me the way that i dealt with my own dysfunction as far as like you know my mom being a drug addict and my parents being divorced and all that kind of stuff the way that i dealt with that personally was exactly what you just how you just described it it was like it was like this weird thing and i don't I don't even know if I was even conscious of it half the time that I was doing it, but I was always trying to project something else, trying to deflect that part of my life into something else and never being really authentic and real about who I was. And it really affected me as a young person. Um, it really made me um, almost live in a fantasy world. Well, you know I mean, what I mean? You did go through a lot as a kid. I mean, you've seen things that, I don't think kids should ever see, you know, being, you know, have your mom having custody of you for sure. when you were little and her being a drug addict. I mean, I think that's true, but I think honestly that, but what I'm, what I'm getting at is that veneer that I'm talking about. It's an, I think it's a natural reaction that we have to dysfunction and messiness. True. And then what happens is, is that the more traumatic it is or the more difficult it is or the more that the messier it is, the harder it is for us to be open and vulnerable about it, right? Yeah. Which seems counterintuitive when you're, especially a Christian, but I think Christians struggle with this just as much as non-Christians do, where, you know, if they came from a very traumatic life and then they came to know Christ maybe later in life, Christians have a really hard time, like, dealing with their mess. And it's strange because... We have the person who heals. We, you know, God well, is a I mean, healing God. I think what it is, uh, this is just a guess, but I think what what I've seen with Christians that maybe had like messes prior to coming to know the Lord, and then when they come to know the Lord, it's definitely something that you know they've been forgiven of, and many times maybe they've already been healed as well. Right. And so they don't want to remember those things because it is a really you know, when you, it's kind of one of those things when you're thinking of the things that the dumb things you've done in life, you're like, eh, you yeah. kind of cringe, yeah. right? Yeah. So you don't want to like remember those. You don't want to be reminded of those. You, what about you, stuff that's done to you? The done? I mean, I don't know because I think things that are, have been done to you, there's still consequences, right? Sure. On that. There's still sin. There's still traumatic Absolutely. experiences. So those are things that you also, I don't think you a lot of people they don't want to deal with it anymore yeah especially when you come to the lord i mean think about our marriage you know when we came into the lord we were like yay we're serving jesus but we didn't really want to deal with we were still a hot mess well, yeah we were still a hot mess and we didn't want to deal with it yeah you know we just wanted to go let's just serve christ you know let's just go to church and blah blah blah, blah. and but we really needed to deal with the messiness we needed to deal with a lot of the hurt first yes and let the lord heal it but you know, but your natural reaction is like, let's forget about that. But see, the irony of what you said just now is that I don't think that we were equipped necessarily to do that by ourselves. No. We needed to no. have the church rally yeah, around us to for deal sure. with it, right? I mean, I think, you know, I think about it is a lot, like, you know, the times that we had when we first came into the Lord and then we went through that period where we almost got divorced mm -hmm. and how thankful 
OM that we had that little church oh that we were a part of. Colchester Assemblies of God. Shout out Charlie Brown, Shirley Ellis. <laughs> yeah. And um and I mean honestly I think it was just if we didn't have them, the people of God, like praying for us, encouraging us, yeah, like counseling us. Counseling us, you know, um, Shout out Wanda Dudek. Right. And you know, I don't think we would have made it. Yeah. And but I again I think it was also a safe place to be vulnerable. It was a safe place to to be able to share what we're struggling with. Yeah. You know, it was a safe so, place to share our sin. Yeah, wouldn't you agree though that like here's the here's the interesting thing of what you're saying is that like the fact that it was a safe place, I would say that most people um, and my experience, because I grew up in the church where you weren't necessarily growing up in the church, but I grew up in the church and I would have never up until that point at Colchester, I would have never considered the church, the place as a safe place to share the mess that you and I shared about our life. Mm-hmm. Like I, it's not something that would have ever dawned on me. I'm not sure if that was how I was raised or, or what, but like those people loved us in a way that I don't think I've ever seen or experienced before. But you know what it is too, I have to say it's, I mean, there were literally probably like about 30 to 40 people in that church. Yeah. And we were a family. I think nowadays in a big church, it's hard to have, to know people and to have family. Yeah. And, and so for us, they were family. Yeah. They're the ones we, you know, cause we were away from our family, our blood family. So to us, they became our family. Um, and you know, we celebrated holidays together. We celebrated birthdays together. Right. I mean, and so, you know, I just didn't think, like, they were the place, definitely the people that I could go to with and share and my and, and basically, like, cry my eyes out, yeah. you know, for our marriage, you know? I couldn't, I don't know if anybody else would have understood um, outside of our church family, like, what were you were doing? No, we would have gotten advice to get divorced. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So, and we yeah. both knew that that's not the direction we were supposed to go, even though we were broken and completely like a hot mess, a hot mess, and opposite ends of the spectrum, right? right? Like, we were we were 180 degrees apart from one another, and yet we both knew in our hearts that that wasn't the way that God wanted us to go. And conventional wisdom says that we should have got a divorce, right? Yeah. But biblical wisdom says no, God hates divorce, and these people stood with us through that and wanted to see us grow beyond that right and to let god heal that hurt yeah and i think the craziness about this whole thing is which is not like i've found in the other churches that we've been it's like nobody needs to know your business right and they never asked never asked it's like what was going on in our business they just prayed for us yep they just literally just came when i asked for prayer and i asked if they could come to the church to pray with me they came and prayed you know, and I think that was the beauty of it. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing amazing for us and just to be around people who love you that way. And that's the love of God. That's not human love. No. Um, and that was just an incredible testimony to us about how the messiness of family and how the church fills in those gaps. Yeah. Right? Here's a, a second story in scripture that that really highlights the messiness of family, but also highlights this thing that you were talking about and you were alluding to this, and it was a great segue into this, this uh, particular story. Uh, uh, good segue. Great segue. Uh-huh. All right. So 
Genesis 37, later in the book of Genesis, basically to the end of the book of Genesis, is the story of, of Jacob's family. All right, Jacob being one of the um, patriarchs um, in the Bible, especially in the book of Genesis, but even later, God refers to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? Mm-hmm. Those are the patriarchs of the Jewish religion. And, um, and furthermore, the patriarchs of the Christian faith, because Jesus even refers to them as the patriarchs. So, Jacob was Isaac's son, and Jacob, you know, was a, he was a kind of a rabble rouser, and, and he really, <laughs> um, he was, a, he was rough, he was rough around the edges, and, and he had his own sibling rival, rival with, his, with his twin brother Esau, right? Yeah. And when we finally get to Jacob's story, and then learning about his son Joseph, right, we see this very large family, right? Um, we see, you know, some weirdness in the fact that Jacob's got two wives, right? Mm-hmm. Which we can have another whole episode talking about. <laughs> yeah. Talking about uh, polygamy in the scripture and like how that is just, look, for real, for real, how anyone has more than one wife is beyond me. It's hard enough having one. What, you don't think you could handle more than one? Um, no, I could not and would not ever try to. <laughs> Um, but Joseph is a really interesting cat. Like he's one of 12 brothers, right? But apparently he is basically Jacob's favorite. Yeah. Because he had that multicolor coat. Well, you know, he, they made him this coat and he's having these dreams where his brothers are bowing down to him and he's very vocal about it. So he's telling all of his brothers about this stuff and it's just a really wild story. Imagine if Melina had told Caleb that, that, hey, I had a dream and you would bow down to me. Caleb would flip out. <laughs> or imagine if Caleb said that to his two sisters. Oh, that's true. <laughs> so so we have Joseph basically as like the favorite. And again, sibling rivalry, right? Like these guys, they get fed up with this guy, right? And it's because he's getting special treatment. And his father's basically doting on him and, and, and not as much as the other brothers. And, and listen. It, it was d- a little bit extreme, at least from the, from the movie. Yeah, from the little <laughs> cartoon movie that we watch. But in the, it, it goes to show, like, you know, the way that parents handle their kids really affects their kids. Yeah, it matters. Right? Like, if you show favorites, it, they will know. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Right? They, mm, they will know. They will know. They will know, right? Um. So we see I mean, Joseph. I'm the favorite daughter. Oh my gosh. Anyway, we see. <laughs> For you all out there, I'm like the only daughter. Yeah, so. she's the only daughter. <laughs> That's why I can say that all the time. So we have this picture from Genesis 37 through the rest of the book, um, talking about just the 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 exploits and the and the life of of Jacob's family. All right, and what we see is like this really like terrible group of people <laughs> yeah well jacob's mom is like well i don't want to say she anyway wasn't very nice but i mean just in in, <laughs> in jacob's marriage and, and in his kids we see this group of people that are just making these like for instance joseph's brothers were so jealous of him they sold him into slavery so again we have this cain like like experience where like there's this natural sibling rivalry that turns into like this crazy like these people are nuts. See, and you guys say like women get all weird when they get jealous. I mean, look at that. That's like two men examples. 
Okay, so... <laughs> you have nothing to say <laughs> Joseph's 11 brothers sell him into slavery, right? And what's really interesting about this story is as we move forward and progress, the story is a really depressing story. For instance, one of the older brothers in uh, Jacob's family, his family line, Judah, there's this weird story in chapter 38 where Judah you know, basically mistreats a woman, right? And, and like sexually assaults her, all right? Um, then you move forward into chapter 39 and you see, you know, Joseph basically being framed for rape, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. It's just this constant struggle and messiness as we see J Jacob's family line play out here, right? But then as the story continues and we start to see this, this person, Joseph, we see Joseph as this kind of figure that is a little different than the rest of his family, right? And he, he's got this gift to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And then Joseph is then automatically, because he's able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, Pharaoh makes him the second in command of Egypt, the most mighty nation on, on the earth, right? And then lo and behold, he's made second in command right as a famine is coming, right? Mm -hmm. That was the, the interpretation of the dream. And his brothers end up showing up at their doorstep in Egypt. In needing of help. Needing, in need of help, right? And one of the, the beautiful scenes that you see in this story is this story of reconciliation of this yes. family. This mess, right? This whole messy, really like terrible scenario. And how as it's interwoven and we see just this brokenness from sin, right? And yet as God's hand... And his provision is played out. Joseph and his is sovereignty. His like, sovereignty, yes. Like just the way it inter like interjects the li their lives. It's it cra it's crazy, right? Yeah. Like, and, but but these people are willing, mm -hmm. right? So that's the beauty of this story is that Joseph, who was a hurt, he was very hurt. He was very broken from the sin and shame of you know his family basically disowning him and sending him off because they were jealous of him, right? They're just setting him off. They sold him. They sold him into slavery. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, how many of us would be willing, like Joseph, to 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 Forgive? reconcile? Yeah, I don't know. You know, family sometimes does. Sometimes it inflicts the deepest wounds. Yeah, well, I mean, I think because they are typically the closest to you, yeah. so therefore they're the ones that can inflict the deepest wounds. I mean, if a stranger did that to you, it's like, okay, whatever. It's not like you're going to ever see them again right. type thing. Or you could care less about what their thoughts are, what they're, how they feel about certain things. Right. But family is like family. Yeah. They're just, there's a closeness. There's expectations. There's, oh, yes. Right? There's lots of expectations. There's all that. And, and so I think, I think the beauty of what this story shows is that, yes, there's mess, but that God can work through the mess. And there's a, and there's a verse in Genesis at, towards the end of the book where it actually says, Joseph actually says that what, you know, was meant for evil, God intended for good, right? Like yes. what was meant for destruction. And, and this, and if you have a family out there or you're looking to build a family, maybe you're in a, in a really difficult family situation. I want you to hear this. This, this is for you to hear right now. What the enemy means for destruction, what is meant for to destruction, to destroy you and your family, what is meant to divide, what is meant to hurt you, what is meant to break you. And honestly, the sin maybe in your life, maybe you've sinned and hurt folks in your family and there's separation because of that. 
what is meant to destroy, God uses for good, right? That's he right. can turn it. And all we have to do is submit to that sovereignty of his will the way that Joseph did in this story. Yeah, I think a lot of people, I think, especially if you're the one that do the hurting, you think you can never be forgiven or you can never make it right. right. And I just don't think that's true. You know, I mean, yes, I think it's both parties. Like, you have to be, to take the initiative to, to ask for forgiveness. And then obviously, they have to have a heart that's willing to forgive. Right. But, at, and even in scripture, it says, as much as for you to live peaceably with someone, Absolutely. you have to try. And I think if you've done all you can to to apologize, to repent, um, to make things right, to try to reconcile, um, that's all, like, you know, that you're really even are asked to do by the Lord, you know, and the rest is like, it's up to that person to receive it. It's up to that person to forgive. You know, you can't make anyone do any of those things. Um, and, and you just continue to, to live your life and pray for them if, if possible, you know, and then vice versa. Yeah. If you're the one on the, the hurt side, you know, I mean, I know there's things that have been done in my life that's been, you know, like, Destructive. Destructive and yeah. traumatic, even as a little girl, you know, and I think one of the big things that the Lord really did for me uh, when I first came to know him is to remove that that anger and the bitterness. Now, it doesn't mean there's no consequences in my life from that traumatic experience. It's not something that, or there's still things that I have to deal with sure, now sure. because of that um, sin against me. But it's definitely one of the, the freeing thing for me as a Christian is being able to not hold that against that person and being free to just forgive. Yeah. Um, because it takes away um, the shame. Yeah. Because I think when you're like holding on to like hurt, especially in a, in a in, for me, for instance, it's abuse. It's like you're unable, you feel that shame that came from that abuse. You still hold on to the fact that maybe you're, you're it's your fault. What a bondage. You know? What a bondage. And it's a bondage for yeah. you. The enemy wants to keep you there. It's terrible. You know, but I, I know like the moment I was able to forgive, it was like this freedom yeah. that I didn't have to feel that shame. I didn't feel, I, I didn't feel like I was a victim any longer. And I didn't feel like somehow this still was like something that is like, I'm like damaged good, you know? And yeah. I, I, are, there's consequences to that. Sure, there's sure. things that, you know, I feel like my perspective on a lot of things has still been skewed because of it, but it doesn't mean that something that it's like, I don't know, that keeps me like in that bondage or dark place. Right. Just the, 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 the place of sinfulness that, you know, because we hurt each other, you know, and in families, families are the, the place where hurt happens because you're the most vulnerable. Yeah. Right. You're the most, you know, your guards down in family. Right. Um, most of us, you know, homes are our haven. And so we tend to look at our family members through rosy colored glasses. And so we don't necessarily see them as abusers. We don't see them as a person who would hurt us. Right. Mm -hmm. But in reality, people are people and people hurt each other, right? And so I think the key to what you just said, and, and honestly, I think it's mirrored here in the scripture. So like it really says this in Genesis towards the end in the Joseph story is that when Joseph reconciled with his brothers, they stood together and they wept together, mm -hmm. right? Like they mourned over this destructive decision that they made 
And because they made that decision, it ended up saving their whole family. Yeah. They sold Joseph into slavery out of jealousy and anger, and that literally saved their entire family. That crazy, ridiculous, sinful decision. Yeah, I mean, I think it's because God can take that evil and make it into good. And that there's good that came out of it Absolutely. because of because of him alone. Yes. You know, it wasn't like, oh, see, it's no big deal because they were saved because of that decision. No, that's not it. Is God is sovereign. God is good and wanted to do good for like for those that follow him. Yeah. Joseph loved God. Yeah, and and I think that that right there is the crux of the message of family, right? Like so we see gender roles, right? We see male and female and then that translates into family. Right. And family, you know, especially talking about it from the Christian perspective, oftentimes is this like, you know, fairy tale, you know, Andy Griffith show Mayberry experience that most people think that Christians think families should be. But in reality, Christians should talk about messy life. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think like you said in the beginning is that I don't think the church or Christian families tend to discussed their messiness and how God has truly healed, redeemed, and reconciled yes. family. You know, uh, I mean, well, I mean, for you guys listening out there, you know, a Christian home is not perfect. There is a lot, there's things that are like, you know, it's messy. It's just like any other family. And I think, you know, the only difference is, we, you know, what we, at least, you know, speaking for our families, we really try to like see things through Jesus's perspective, through his word and, and, and take action based on what his commands us, which is to love one another or, you know, go to each other when somebody has wronged the other person and ask for forgiveness. And I think, you know, the ultimate goal for our, for our family is to glorify him. So therefore, you know, no matter what's going on, no matter if who's right or who's wrong, you know, the, the end goal is to glorify him and him alone. And so um, for families, Christian families that are struggling out there, you know, keep going back to his word. Yeah. Keep going back to him. Yeah. You know, keep praying and seeking him and lifting up different relationships, different issues that may be happening. You know, kind of. God can heal and can and save anyone. So even if you have like family members that don't know Christ or even like, you know, maybe within your family, it's being torn apart. You know, I believe in miracles. Like I always say, if if we if God could heal our marriage, they could heal anybody else's yeah. marriage. You know, um, you know, again, caveat is like if you're being abused physically, like I don't. Like ask you to stay. I would ask you to remove yourself from that place, that situation, and then seek help. Maybe pray for your spouse at that point, but get yourself away. Yeah, be you know, safe. Be right. safe. So I'm not saying, oh, you know, be like, you you just keep yourself there in an unsafe situation. Right. No, but what I'm saying is like, you know, God could do the miraculous. He does the miraculous. He does the right? miraculous. I mean, yeah, he does. It, I will elaborate on this in our next episode um, because we have a special guest that's going to be joining us. But something that our oldest daughter said to us later in life about how we 
you know, because Francis and I were very remorseful of the mess <laughs> early on in our marriage, especially. And so we um, spoke to our oldest daughter when she was a little older and apologized to her for that and just dragging her through the mud the way that we did. And she corrected us and said, no. Um, I mean, obviously she didn't want to go through that kind of stuff. Nobody wants to go through hard times or bad things or, you know, see their parents fight or get divorced or threaten to get divorced or any of that stuff. Nobody wants to experience that. But what she said was... Let's just let her say it. Okay. We'll let her say it next (laughs) next episode. Yeah. Why are you going to say it? You're going to take away her, like... Steal her thunder? Well, I mean, yeah. Or at least... (laughs) Let her give goggles. Well, I was, yeah, I, I wanted her. We're going to elaborate on it when we talk next week because we're going to, next episode, folks, we're going to talk about that mess, but we're going to talk about it in a very personal way. Francis and I are going to have our oldest daughter, Kylie, join us to talk about family, right? Mm-hmm. And what that looks like in a Christian home, a real, like, real one that's yeah. trying to serve Jesus, but also is a mess. And, we're sinners and, you know, sinners trying to live together and trying to do life together. And um, I think our daughter will be able to bring some insight into that. Yeah, because we had a lot of lessons learned from raising her. She yeah. was like our first. And so there are a lot of things that we want to share, too, like as far as in like, you know, having our second and our third. Yeah. And some of the things that we learned from the oldest, so, the we guinea could, pig. Like, so that we could actually do a little bit better job, yeah. you know. With process the, improvement, right? Process improvement, <laughs> yes. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hey, thank you for listening to The Way Podcast. Um, if your family is struggling, we just want to encourage you to, to turn to your creator, yes. right? Husbands and fathers, you're created with a, a created role. God's given you a role, and so act in that role. The only way to find out what that is is to look in the scriptures and see what God, how God has prescribed for you to be. Wives and, and mothers, he's done the same thing for you. He's given you a, a prescription for how to be, um, how to live, how to, to do that and bring him glory. Mm-hmm. And none of that is devoid of the idea that we're going to mess up. Like we understand and God understands that we're sinners and all we have to be willing to do is to put the work in to repent and and tr- continue living our lives to bring him glory and to please him and he handles the rest he takes care of the rest and and how we know that is because we're living it yes <laughs> francis and i are living examples of that because we're still sitting here together we still sleep in the same bed together you know francis is able to look at me sometimes with you know loving eyes sometimes <laughs> with with hatred in her eyes <laughs> But we're still here. And it's that's only by, by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God. And she says that that way, but like the reality is we mean it. It's only by the grace of God. That's right. Thank you for listening and God bless you. Bye.